Imputed Podcast starts right now. Welcome back to a special edition of the Asman and Budic Show podcast. I'm Dan Budic, joined alongside by Jake Asman. Jake, we're going to have Steve Summers on today, a WFAN original and a legend in New York Sports Talk Radio. You know, Steve's been on the station since it first started. It's an honor to have a guy that's been in the radio business so long to you know, give us a couple minutes and come on the show. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting to how he, how, what he says about the station evolving since 1987 when it opened and the, how social media changed it. I, I think that's the most interesting thing we're going to get out of today. We're going to get to it all with Steve Summers right after this. You are listening to the Asman and Butic Podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Welcome back to the Asman and Butic Show, and now joining us on the line is WFAN radio legend Steve Summers. So Steve, Jake and Dan here, and you there. How you doing? Well, I'm doing fine, guys, and thanks very much for having me on. Oh, thank you, Steve. Again, like I mentioned before off the air, it's such an honor to have you on. Well, it's an honor for me, too. It works both ways, believe me. Steve, you've been at WFN pretty much since it started. How do you think it's changed over the years through technology advancements and through social media? Well, that's a great question. And uh, obviously, you know, we were using Western Union. We were using Pony Express. uh, And we were using, you know, our hands and our feet to communicate. Uh, You know, very prehistoric, very Jurassic Park way back in the beginning. But... You know, now uh, during programs on the radio station, you know, there is tweeting and there is all kinds of things that is social media taking place um, during the course of the uh, radio program. So, you know, it's as uh, high-tech as possible with with state-of-the-art equipment uh, as far as radio technology goes. You combine the state-of-the-art technology with radio equipment and social media, and you have a radio station, and really CBS Radio, because all five of their New York radio stations are as up-to-date as can be. And, of course, maybe someday down the road, uh, people won't even need uh, radio to begin with. There'll be other ways of communicating uh, and other ways of communicating that haven't yet been invented. Yes, Steve, that brings me to my next question. You transitioned it perp- uh, perfectly. Excuse me. Has social media almost hurt radio to the fact that you know you're not necessarily breaking the news anymore on the overnight? Uh, p- most people are already aware of what's going on. Is it changed from that standpoint? Uh, not really, unless you're talking about something happening in a different time period. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, if you're on at midnight, something could break not only at midnight regarding an athlete, but also certainly at 9 o'clock for the sake of conversation here on the West Coast. So, you know, and then you have things going on in Europe, whether it has to do with soccer or, you know, American athletes traveling abroad. Uh, 24 hours a day, things can happen. And as they say in the trade, nothing good usually happens after 2 a.m., and we certainly know of a number of football players, basketball players, baseball players, hockey players, you name it, that get themselves into trouble after 2 a.m. Eastern time, let alone 2 a.m. anytime, anywhere in the world. 
Now, Steve, you're famous for your opening monologues. You know, what <laughs> goes into you preparing for a monologue, and where did you get the idea to do it the way you do it? It's so unique and so different from anything on radio. Well, it's really funny because it's really out of date. I write everything. Uh, uh, I, I write it out. Howie Rose used to say that Summers right now is preparing his ad libs, and uh, everybody does a monologue. I think I'm the only one who actually writes it out longhand. And sometimes I print it. Uh, I'm a very good handwriter, especially for a left-hander. And uh, the bottom line is I just always did it that way. Thoughts would come to me at all hours of the day and night, <laughs> and I would get up and write them down on, on index cards or the back of envelopes or, you know, legal yellow-lined paper. And it just is something that I've always done. Everybody does a monologue, so doing a monologue is not unique. And I think the real key is that I can write a little bit, and I can write for the ear. In other words, I'm not really, you know, the writer like an author uh, writing a book or writing even a newspaper article or a blog where you can reread whatever is being written. For example... Uh, the ESPN.com Bill Simmons Grantland is excellent, excellent writing. And those guys are really, really very good, and they have something to say, and they can really use all letters of the alphabet. And they are writing for the eye. And so if there is a paragraph that you may not understand or you want to reread, well, obviously, you can do that. When you are writing for radio, which is very throwback here, uh, you are having to make it simple. Uh, you can make it clever. You can make it funny, looking for a punchline to conclude a paragraph, for example. But you're writing for the ear uh, as opposed to writing for the eye. So if you're writing for the ear, it has to be very simple. But I can radio write. Uh, and I can also, I think the key with my monologues is how they are delivered. Uh, so I think because you're only going to hear it once, you know, unless I repeat it later on that night or, you know, down the road again when it might be appropriate to repeat it, the bottom line is that people are only going to hear it once, so the writing is going to have to be fairly simple. But I think it really the key is how you write something or how you say something, and then how you go about delivering that monologue. And we're here joined, obviously, by Steve Summers of WFAN. Steve, I had the chance to read Tim Sullivan's book on WFAN, and you really talked about how you really have found your niche with the overnight. How was it that the overnight differed from any other time slot on FAN, especially for you? Well, in the very beginning, I thought nobody was listening. Never <laughs> mind that uh, New York is a 24-hour town. I think radio in that time period uh, is more intimate and more personal. Okay. There are people listening to you at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. They could be a bartender on the way home. It could be a cab driver. It could be a doorman to a building. It could be somebody also working a graveyard shift. Uh, and it's more one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, during the day, it's a little bit different because 
people are working and maybe listening to the radio at the same time, driving from point A to point B, you know, for work purposes, because so much obviously is done during the day. But people are home and usually in bed or lounging about, and so they're at one with their radio or their radio host. So uh, there were shut-ins listening. Uh, there were a lot of comedians uh, that were listening in the beginning. Uh, Seinfeld was one of them. Andrew Dice Clay was another. Stephen Wright. Um, Tony Roberts, the Broadway actor, uh, was listening. Charles Grodin, the actor. Um, Bruno Kirby, uh, who was in the movie City Slickers, and in a number of Godfather movies, he was listening. It was fascinating, uh, the uh, entertainment types who were listening when I thought nobody was listening way back mm. when. But there was a tremendous connection between what I was doing and the people listening and calling. And it really was the foundation of my career at WFAN. I had mixed feelings about leaving overnight to do the midday show um, with Russ Salzberg of Channel 9 uh, when that happened in 1995. It was like leaving family, like leaving home. You mentioned Jerry Seinfeld as one of the people that have you know, continuously called your show over the years. What's it like to know that you have one of the biggest comedians on the planet calling into your radio show that you do? Yeah, that, I mean, you know, you can't make it up. Uh, very, very surreal. Jerry and Queens, of course. Yeah, you're not kidding. So, uh, no, and I once asked him, um, do you think I'm funny? And he goes, I think it's more you have a heart. So I think he was talking about something not sports-related, which is what all of us at WFAN can do, or do do. In other words, most human beings who may even be diehard sports fans also have interest in other things, whether it be music, whether it be, um, you know, anything, reading, uh, vacationing, traveling. Uh, I mean, you know, I think all of us try to be a complete human being and not just sports fanatics because all of us, you know, have a tremendous passion for, you know, the subject matter. That's why we're doing what we're doing to begin with. But whether it's movies or whether it's music, whether it's popular culture, New York popular culture or American popular culture, over the course of so many years, you get to round yourself out um, showing some range. You know, it's like what we say about a good shortstop. You know, if he can cover ground, he's going to have good, grain, uh, good range. And so what a lot of us will do over the course of time will um, show either a lack of range or good range in talking about almost anything. Steve, you talked a little bit about when you were on the midday with Russ Salzberg. Was that a difficult transition going from the overnight to the midday with yeah. a co-host? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a whole different dynamic when you're co-hosting because you're sharing the program. And uh, personally, uh, I couldn't do monologues. I couldn't do a lot of the production pieces that I like to do. And I uh, think uh, that as a solo performer, I'm a lot better than and can show more range 
working alone, then I can't. In other words, uh, my, I've always felt that my callers were like a co-host. And I always felt that, you know, working with him during the five years that we did it, even though the ratings were very good and you're making a lot more money than you are in the middle of the night, uh, there were parts of my game that I wasn't able to do, so I regretted that. But it was an experience, and that's what life is all about anyway. Now, see, being in a business with so much turnover, how do you think you've been able to you know, continue to do what you've been doing for so many years and sustain that kind of long period of success that you've been having? Probably because management sleeps when I'm on. <laughs> so, Steve, you clearly have a very loyal fan base, a fan base that's been with you from the start. You know, what does your fan base mean to you after sticking with you for so many years since you've been at the station? Well, uh, I mean, all of us have fans. And so, you know, and again, uh, I think a lot of the people that may have been listening overnight are no longer with us anymore. So my audience may be dwindling by the day. <laughs> uh, I, I think you always want to reinvent yourself. You never want to get stale. Uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, how do you retire from talking to begin with? It's still a passion. It's still something I care about very much. And it's become like a lifestyle. You know, after all these years, uh, I mean, it's just part of my DNA. Um, I, and I think to answer your question very seriously that you were asking, I think you have to be lucky. I think you want to be good to stay a long time, but I think also you have to be very, very lucky because as you guys know, it's a very transient business. Absolutely. People come and go, so you have to be really uh, very lucky too. You talked about people coming and going, leaving the fan, coming to the fan. Has that been tough since you've been in the position of staying at WFAN for so long, seeing so much turnover around you? Um, well, uh you know, one thing I can say about WFAN, people really don't get fired very often there. People may leave on their own, uh, especially young people who, you know, want to, uh, uh, who are production people or interns for the sake of example. Uh, 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 I'm just saying that, you know, but it is very, very difficult to start uh, in New York. Evan Roberts is very, very rare, one in a trillion, you know, basically starting in New York. Although I don't think he, you know, as a young man, really getting a good position at WFN, I think he did work in other places. I think he did work in Baltimore. He did work for Sirius Radio. Uh, but he's very, very rare. Most people don't start their career uh, in New York City. It's where they would like to end their career, but not start. So I think, um, you know, you don't see, you don't see a lot of turnover other than a lot of young people leaving to get the opportunity to do their broadcasting, whether it's talk radio, whether it's play by play, whatever it may be. Uh, and then there are young people that sometimes leave WFAN to go into another line of work altogether. You know, they may learn while they're there as a young person that it's something that, you know, it's not for them for one reason or another. And if you're fair to yourself, you decide that. I think it's really something you feel and are committed to and have a passion. Uh, and some people find out they are not that committed. They don't have that kind of passion. Uh, and they're very impatient. And an opportunity may come to 
get involved in another kind of business altogether. Um, if it's in your DNA, you know, if it's there, uh, you're going to pursue it. You're going to not take no for an answer, and you're going to continue doing what you want to do, either trying to get to where you want to go or doing it, um, uh, you know, for finally getting the opportunity. So the bottom line is that there isn't that much turnover as you would expect, uh, but there are some people uh, that you don't know about that come to WFAN, have been there for years, and then after a while leave, and they're not necessarily on-air people. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Dave Sims uh, started his career at WFAN, and he now does play-by-play for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Ian Eagle started his career at WFAN, and we all know about Ian and doing uh, the you know the Nets on television and working for CBS, and you know Ian has been doing NCAA games and he does NFL games. So there are people that obviously will leave WFAN, you know, for greener pastures and better opportunities to come along. But a lot of us, I think I'm the only one now, uh, as far as the host is concerned, who has been there since day one. Francesa that uh, came about a year after I did. So the two of us have been there the longest, and Beningo has been there since 1995. So he's been there a while. So they're very loyal to us, as we are very loyal to them. Steve, starting out in San Francisco, obviously you being originally from the West Coast, be seeing both media markets and working in both media markets, obviously New York's a bigger market, but what's, uh, what else is the major difference between the two? Well, there's more, more knowledge, more passion uh, about sports here than there is anywhere in California. Okay. I mean, I started uh, like when I was 17 uh, in San Francisco. I worked TV in L.A., uh, I work TV in Sacramento, uh, so I've been—I know from California. And my uh, my dream, by the way, you can look at my high school yearbook, and my high school yearbook below my picture uh, says "Ambition, New York Sportscaster." You know, there are three kinds of uh, New Yorkers: the native New Yorker, the uh, commuter. Uh, the person who commutes in and out of New York every day, and then someone like myself uh, who looked at New York as a goal, as a destination, as a dream. Uh, this is where I wanted to be because I thought, and I, I still believe without question, that New York is the place to be no matter what you do. But if you're in the sports business, uh, there could be no better place than New York City where you have the most knowledgeable fans, uh, the most passionate fans, um, and a, a great number of them who care deeply about the teams they care about. And when I was a kid, people thought I was from New York, and I always found that flattering. And uh, people, I, I met the comedian Robert Klein a couple of months ago, and he invited me to lunch at the Forest Club in uh in Manhattan, he couldn't believe he was reading a New York Times article about me, and he couldn't believe that I was from the West Coast. But fans out there will leave, 
you know, games. Uh, Sandy Koufax was once throwing a no-hitter at Dodger Stadium in the 1960s, and half the crowd leapt around the seventh inning to uh, beat the traffic on the way home to go start their barbecue. You can't make it up. That never would have happened here. I'm not saying that people wouldn't leave early uh, in New York, you know, if they have to work early or go to school uh, the very next day, but you have fans who care sometimes more than the guys they root for uh, in New York City. You You just have the best fans here. Now, Steve, before we let you go, we got to ask you about uh, some WFN humor that we read about, and a lot of people on Twitter were buzzing <laughs> about. You recently, during a show, I believe, got stuck in an elevator. Can you walk us through exactly what happened? Our Twitter followers are dying to know the whole story. Well, it was about 8 o'clock at night. I was going downstairs. We're on the 10th floor at 345 Hudson. So I was uh, heading uh, at 8 o'clock during uh, – I was on the air, and it was 8 o'clock, and uh, – Oh, I, I, I darted out of the studio, went to the elevators, and wanted to go downstairs. We're on the 10th floor, and obviously you have to go outside to have a quick puff. Um, and so I got into the elevator about 8.01 and, uh, and got stuck. <laughs> uh, I, I pressed uh, to go down to the lobby. It went up, uh, it went up the elevator. Oh, boy. Yeah, and got stuck between floors, and I was in there for an hour and a half. And Richard Neer had to come uh, come on a little early, I remember. Yes. Yes, he did. And, uh, and again, uh, I wasn't even scared. I mean, and knowing me, I would think that the whole elevator would just drop <laughs> you know, to, the, uh, to the bottom. But it took an hour and a half uh, before getting me out. And, uh, and when they finally got the doors open... To the elevator, I mean, I was stuck between floors. So the doors opened, and I was facing a wall. And what they had to do, uh, there was a small crack in the very top part of the elevator where I could see the shoes of those people trying to help me standing on the floor above me. They were looking down into the elevator at me. I was looking up through this opening at the very top of the elevator, because I was between floors, and the doors opened, and you're facing a wall, but I could see a little bit of the floor above me in the shoes of the people who were up there trying to help me get out. Anyway, to make a long story longer, they lowered uh, through that opening uh, at the very top of the elevator uh, a little footstool, and I got up on the footstool, raised my arms through the opening, and they pulled me out um, on my uh, uh, face down and pulled me out of the elevator that way through this opening at the very, very top. So, you know, you can't make it up, but everything <laughs> worked out okay. Steve, one more thing. Over the summer, you were doing a, an overnight shift, in the, and you were in the Boomer and Carden studio, and you hit the pedal that makes, Boomer, that makes Craig's voice change. And you came back on the air. Very funny clip. Take us through that. Yeah, I mean, the thing was, is underneath the desk where you're going to put your feet. Normally, they hide that thing. Normally, they disconnect it, and uh, they uh, just hide it. You know, they don't leave it exposed uh, for anyone like myself to, <laughs> you know, step on it. And that activates, you know, the very, very, very high voice. I thought something had happened to my throat.
You sounded like uh, Darth Vader. Darth Steve. Vader is what Beningo said the next day. Oh, yeah, no, you can't make it up. And only these things uh, can happen with live radio. That's what makes live radio a lot of fun, is that anything can happen, and usually everything does happen. Steve, thank you so much for a couple minutes and uh, coming on our program. We really appreciate it. We've been big fans for life of you. So, many years, Steve. We've been listening to you on the o- I go to sleep every night listening to FAN, so we listen to you on the overnight. Well, listen, thanks, guys, for having me on. A real pleasure. A pleasure for us, too, Steve. Thanks so much, Steve. All right, guys. Bye-bye. That was WFAN Steve Summers. Steve, of course, was nice enough to give us a couple minutes of his time. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Like uh, we mentioned to Steve, we've been listening to Steve Summers for a long time. So great to have him on our show. Being able to interview him, it was a great thrill. Sports Talk really started with WFAN. They were the first 24-hour Sports Talk station in New York City, of course, is where it all happened. Steve's been there since the very beginning. Radio legend, as we've talked about with him a little earlier. And that's really the big thing. He is a huge part of New York Sports Talk Radio and Sports Talk Radio in total he's been such a, an influence on so many people if you ask guys like John Jastrzemski who we had on probably who was their big influence or who did they grow up listening to they'd probably say Steve Summers of course there's no doubt about that and another thing with Steve Summers is just how nice of a guy he is such a nice guy we reached out to him he was able to come on we can't thank him enough but that's going to do it for us thank you for listening to another edition of the Asman and Budic Show we'll be back soon for more shows coming up make sure you follow the show's account on Twitter at Asman Show. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Asman at Dan Budick. And for Dan Budick, I'm Jake Asman saying so long. Thanks for listening in. Thank you for listening to the Asman and Budick podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.